Good morning, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. We have an especially exciting episode for you today. This is the season one finale. That means there's all kinds of awesome stuff to talk about. We've got the uh, first war between Dalar and Morgoth. We've got the children. We still we probably have lots of cleanup and dust up work on uh, the Ents and the Eagles. Oh yeah, and, you know. Owlé and the dwarves and the entire all of season one probably. Yeah, well, hey, and, we, we, we didn't even get the ends out of their shrink wrap last time. That's right. Yes, yes, and and based on the based on the response from our uh, listeners in the uh, discussion oh. forum, um, even just even just that, we can tell this is something you guys are really excited about. Like the our executive summary in, in Google Drive is like ten pages long. So. <laughs> Yeah, we're taking well, it to two-hour season finale and swishing it into an hour planning episode. Right? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. That's right, and we're and we're and we're as usual starting late, which means time's really tight. So what am I doing? I'm just sitting here wasting time. <laughs> I'm your co-host Dave Kale, and I'm joined as always by the Tolkien Maven Trish Lambert and the Tolkien Professor Corey Olson. Good morning, everybody. Oh, yeah. Okay, so yeah, we have so much to talk about here today, and I should I should clarify by the way, though real first. Quick, side note, yeah. People People are saying that because Tolkien Professor and Tolkien Maven, Dave needs a one. A I title. Did, so yeah, Dave needs a title. Tolkien Raven, Tolkien Dog. <laughs> Tolkien Dog. Yeah. <laughs> Spell D A W G. Tolkien Dog. D A W G, yeah. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to clarify. I just wanted to clarify that, of course, when we say it's the season one finale, it's the episode in which we discuss the season one finale. We still have some season one business to do after this. And at the end of the episode, I'll come back and talk. I have some specific instructions for you as listeners uh, at the end because uh, we're coming to the part where we rely even more than usual upon uh, upon your input. Um, because we have a bunch of the, well, I was going to say peripherals, but of course that's not quite true. That is, we have the other production details apart from story uh, to discuss after this. So we're still going to have several more episodes within the Selm Film Project Season 1, but today is the day where we make our decisions about the the uh, storyline of the season finale. So, um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Tom Hillman suggests the mouth of Tolkien. Re- re- remember that, Dave? You're, 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 <laughs> you're, you were the mouth of Olsen uh, during the Selm Film <laughs> Seminar. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well remembered, Tom. Anyway, okay. Um, so, so one th- there's uh, two things that I wanted to two topics I wanted to touch on here at the beginning as we um, as we go back. Hey, uh, Michael, you did great. That's how you participate in chat. Yeah. Anyone who's new with us today, please do type in your comments to the uh, questions box there uh, in your control panel uh, as you're so we can see your comments live. Love to have you participating uh, and responding to our discussion live. So, okay. That way we can struggle to keep up with them. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's awesome to give us another thing to do. So um, so no no we do I, we do always appreciate having this uh, discussion as we go. Two things, as I said, I want to hit on two topics we discussed before that have uh, uh, seen additional significant discussion on the discussion board, which I wanted to acknowledge and, and I wanted to kind of come back to those a little bit. First is the big orc discussion. We had it last time. I'm not going to have it all again, um, but I wanted to uh, to sort of clarify one thing 
um, which is that I can see that a lot of people are kind of jumping ahead and um, thinking through in much more detail exactly how the whole process of the, uh, what is it called? The super secret taboo necromantic orc project uh, is going to go down, uh, especially, you know, primarily under the... T-shirts op- for that. <laughs> t-shirts for that. Staff. You know, staff. <laughs> <laughs> staff t-shirts for the super secret taboo nor- orc... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. I am. I, uh, I. I work as volunteer summer staff on the super secret taboo <laughs> necromantic orc project. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or just volunteer, right? Uh, anyway, sorry, sorry. Volunteer. Okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, not yeah, the narcoleptic orc project. That's a different thing, Marie. Um, okay, okay, okay. <clears throat> the point is, the actual process, the actual orcification process, is a season two thing. Okay, the the reason we had to have this discussion last time is that it bears directly on the question, when do the elves awake? If we're going to have orcs and elves connected in any causal way, we have to have the elves available prior to Melkor's enchainment. And so therefore they have to. So that has a huge impact on our planning for these final two episodes. But how it actually, what the real process actually is, the nitty-gritty details of that, we can still kick that can down the road a little bit because that's a season two thing. Um, That's going to be in the front part of season two. Um, Remember, the orcs don't actually come out. They do come out while Melkor is chained. Um, They do, they come out and they fight, uh, you know, Thingol and Cirdan and the Grey Elves and everybody um, before the Noldor return. Uh, remember the Noldor's comments when Thingol says, "I am king of Beleriand," and and the uh, the 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 Noldor sort of snarkily say, "A king is he who can hold his own." You know, the orcs were the kings of Beleriand when we got here, um, so uh, so we're going to need orcs then. Um, but but uh, so basically, the first half of season two, while the elves are like moving west, that's when the necromantic orc project is going to be happening. So, um, so we don't need to work out the details now. Um, but I think we have we have said enough to acknowledge we do want the elves to awaken prior to uh, prior to the battle. So I think that that's um, uh, uh, that's what we can do and 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 all we told we absolutely need to take from that uh for now um on the discussion boards matt deforest uh uh, uh who's uh, an old friend made a uh, and and longtime listener made a wonderful but horrifying comment um uh, dave i don't know if you'd seen this one but uh i no. I, I thought it would appeal to your uh to your uh, to your sense of 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 drama he was Great. suggesting that the valar are in are still over there in Valinor discussing what to do. And the first elf soul appears in Mandos. Uh, like the first elf who's been tortured to death by, by Morgoth shows up over there wow. in Valinor. Wow. And that's how they discover that the elves are awakened and that Morgoth is torturing them. Because he tells them about what's happening back in Middle-earth oh, and how wow. he died. Uh, wouldn't that be macabre? I mean, what <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> 
That's, well, that's a great idea. Yeah. I they found like, have they found the are we saying they they haven't even found the children yet? This is their first encounter. Yes. Like, oh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, apparently you're, yeah. apparently you're, you're awake and you're, you're awake and already being tortured to death. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's it's too horrible. I mean, I, I I find the idea really interesting, but it's it, I couldn't ever do that. That's just too awful. Um, yeah. But uh, but but anyway, I really I really I really love the idea. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Tom Hillman's comment. Roman says, "Hey guys, I found the first." <laughs> right, oh, and and oh, then really, and, where, where were they? Well, that you know. Right. Well, no, no, and then and then Tom adds, and then Mando says, "Not the first. <laughs> I saw that coming, Tom. That was a perfect setup. Yeah, exactly. Imagine the looks on their faces, like when the soul shows up, like complete, like dumbstruck. Complete, yeah, like uh, not know, doesn't know what to do. Mandos is like, we don't have system set up yet. Nothing's, nothing's here. <laughs> That's, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, you've got the whole back wing of the house of Mandos still under construction. You know, he's still, he's, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it would be, it would be caught. Totally caught on the hop there, um, but anyway, yeah, Maria, that was exactly what I was feeling. That it's it it, it would certainly justify the war, and that, I think that was Matt's suggestion that this is this is the thing that like triggers the the Valar to say, all right, that is it, we are going to war. Um, I mean, no question that would justify the war, but I I, I think it's I. I that's too much tragedy for the beginning of the history of elves. I mean, on the one hand, I mean, I can say that, but of course elves were being taken and tortured at the beginning, you know, so in in the Silmarillions, there's no sense hiding from that. You know, having one of them actually die and be released to Mandos is actually, in a way, better than having them not dying and just continuing to live and be tortured for thousands of years. But um, but anyway, still, I... I, I Having the story sequence go that way just seems too much of a downer to, for me. But um, anyway, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, all right. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's not worry about that right now. Like I said, so I'm 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 now I'm now shelving the orc discussion until season two. We will bring that. Keep thinking about it. Keep working on this. Um, but. Uh, uh, but and I still want to see those volunteer T-shirts. That would be awesome. Uh, but anyway, uh, but 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 we're going to save that for season two. The other issue that was raised on the discussion boards, which uh, certainly does, we talked about this a while back, um, but people were certainly right to anticipate this is gonna, something we should probably think about more in anticipation of the battle scene today. Um, and that is the question of physical suffering by the Valar. This came up, of course, originally with Ungoliant and, and Nessa. Um, and we talked about it for a while back then, about how the Valar aren't bound to their forms, um, but they, uh, you know, they, they, they should be able to experience some kind of physical suffering. There needs to be some kind of drama, um, you know, and, and them to be sort of in danger in some sense. That is certainly right. And I agree, uh, you know, one of the main concerns that was voiced about the battle to come, and we'll get to the battle sequence later on, um, today, but one of the concerns that was voiced is that there's not going to be much drama if nobody on either side of this battle can die, you know, uh, so what's at stake for them, you know, how do we show that there's really something at stake, so actually showing 
some of the Val, you know, some of the Maiar, uh, you know, uh, at least some of the Maiar and lesser creatures actually perishing in some sense, right? Um, you know, getting wiped out on the battlefield. Um, and others being wounded and actually suffering seems like that's kind of necessary in order to have a battle that really means anything. Um, I'm okay with this. I mean, I think that it's going to be hard because basically I don't feel like there's any way short of like stopping for, uh, an, uh, you know, like and we now interrupt the drama for a metaphysical discussion, like short of doing something like that. <laughs> We're not going to be able to stop like the. I, I, basically, I, I'm kind of imagining if we depict this and we show Maiar and Valar getting wounded and responding in pain uh, to being burned and stuff like that. Um, if we sh- if we show that, I, I feel like if if this actually happened on a TV show, there would inescapably be like a whole bunch of people on the internet the next day complaining about how we don't know our lore because, of course, they don't really have bodies and they wouldn't respond like that. Um, and I think that we could have an answer for those people. Um, and I, I feel like the answer to the, for those people is relatively simple. Um, but it's going to... I, I don't see how we can kind of communicate our answer to that. You know, and so, I mean, maybe we just kind of don't worry about it too much. Um, my answer to that, the simple answer is just they're bound to their forms by choice. You know, they can change their form. They can disembody themselves. Um, but I think, as I suggested before, the parallel here is how they chose to bind themselves to Arda. You know, they, they, we, we're told that they're, you know, they are, they, are, they, are, they are rooted in Arda. They are bound to Arda. And their connection to the physical forms that they take, yes, they do it voluntarily. Um, you know, unlike... You know, unlike mortals who are born into body, you know, mortals don't choose their roa, you know, they don't choose their bodies, and their their fea are put into these roa without their consent, and uh, um, and they don't get much option in the matter. The Valar do, but they did coming in too. They could have stayed in the halls of the Luvatar. They didn't have to come. Not all of them did. The ones who came chose to come because they loved Arda and wanted to be here. Therefore, similarly, their bodies are their bodies. Like they choose to bind themselves to bodies as they chose to bind to bind themselves to Arda. And therefore, having chosen to bind themselves to physical forms, those physical forms can be damaged by physical things. Um, they should be you know, obviously uh, very tough physical bodies, and they're not killed by the physical body's destruction, but that they would experience pain when their physical body is damaged doesn't seem... It seems to me a sort of a natural consequence of sort of that choice of their love that they... um, uh, that they made, you know, in in, in choosing to bind themselves. So... um, uh, anyway, I I I I think that um, it's not necessarily really a serious issue. And as far as the dying goes, as far as the being disembodied goes, um, I think that especially more minor spirit spirits could be, you know, discommoded by this. Like their spirits would return. Not to, I'm thinking uh, by the way, not to Mandos, but to Lorien. Like their spirits would return to Lorien in uh, in in Valinor and their rest. And uh, and and recover uh, until they embodied themselves again. Um, 
so that it's not just a, 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 a case of like, you know, you kill this body and then I immediately manifest another body and keep on going. Again, then there's a sense that like there's no real consequences, right? That this doesn't really matter to them, um, that they have nothing really at stake. If they actually suffer when their bodies are harmed and if their spirits are harmed in some sense by the death of their bodies. Like, you know, they are weakened to some extent. They need to recover before they can re-embody themselves. Again, especially the lesser spirits. Um, then, again, I, I, don't, I don't think this is a problem. What I do think is going to be challenging um, is finding any way that we can really kind of communicate this. I don't know how imperative it is that we do. Maybe we just let them sort it out and, um, you know explain this in interviews but um um but uh, yeah marie i see that's why i was thinking of lorian uh, uh marie prosser saying that um uh that's why f- uh, finding lorian right after the destruction of the lamps was important uh she says we can show how it works with aonway yeah the aonway incident marie that's the moment where we that's oh yeah yeah perfect 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 the aonway torture uh episode gives us a great opportunity to show what happens He's like the case study, right, prior to the battle, so that we have demonstrated through it. We've, we've uh, foreshadowed it through Nessa's imprisonment, and we demonstrate it through Aonwe's imprisonment um, about the limitations of their bodies, about how they uh, cause pain, about what happens to them after their bodies die. Um, and we don't have to have a, a, a you know a, a philosophical discussion about it, but we can show it. Um, oh yeah, uh, Lydia, the Aonway episode. We'll get to that. I don't think we talked about that in the last episode, though it was in our notes to talk about last time. We'll get to that. That's a. It's it, th- this comes from from the discussion boards. It's, this is a, this is an entirely grassroots movement. Uh, this episode, I love it though. I, I, I I'm and now with Murray's suggestion uh, uh, as a way to solve. This presentation issue of the suffering of the Valar, I think it's. I think I'm now even more. Um, I, now I'm now I'm even more excited about it. Exactly as Nick's so Nick's paraphrase of of it of the uh, of what happens with Aonway and what we show on screen is that you know when they when they strike him down he becomes more powerful than they can possibly imagine. That's that's <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, okay, so. So good, yeah. No, Marie, that's that's excellent. I think that that kind of that kind of solves the problem. So I just want to again, I just want to make sure that we don't have any sort of. You know, I wanted to address any doubts or concerns that that we had about that general question. I do want to. Th- I don't want it to be too awkward. I mean, the last thing we want is people to be you know to have our like dr- dramatic climactic battle and have even a small portion of the audience resistant to that because they're sitting here saying this is dumb why are they worried why are they being hurt how are they dying they're not mortal like if that's the if if that is going on in the minds of a lot of people then our you know our scenes are going to be a failure i think we want to inoculate against that to some extent if we can um without devolving into simple metaphysical discussions so um so I wanted to acknowledge that. But now, yes, the Aonway thing. We have a plan. Okay, we'll come back to the Aonway thing in a second. Any, uh, any thoughts about, about this issue? Guys, did I, did, I, did I cover that enough? Are there still questions we should address there? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Long along in your wake. <laughs> you go right ahead, Corey. Okay, all right. I'm on fire today. We're 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 oh my gosh. we're on the move. We're on the move. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
yeah. So we, we before we get to the central business of the episode today, uh, because uh, once we start laying out the outline for this episode, uh, there's not going to be any uh, looking back. So I did want to mention... Um, uh, the we're we're in a Mythgard Academy transition again. So just to let everybody know about that, um, the uh, uh, the shaping of Middle Earth class. We, uh, we just finished that last night. We just ended the shaping of Middle Earth class, which was awesome. I don't know if you know that all of the Mythgard Academy class recordings are now on YouTube, um, so you can watch any of the Mythgard Academy classes that we that we've uh, that we've done on YouTube. The whole shaping of Middle Earth class should be the final episode should be going up on YouTube today. Um, so, uh, that should be, uh, uh, that, 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 that's, that's, that class is, I definitely recommend the Shaping of Middle-Earth class. They've all been really fun, but that one was, uh, just really, really eye-opening for me. Um, so anyway, um. You know, I gotta say, anybody that I meet is like a Tolkien fan, and they don't know about all of the stuff that you've done in terms of, you know, podcasting courses. I'm like shocked. I'm like, seriously? You don't know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I always feel really bad for people. Like I'll sometimes get like tweets from people who are like, "Hey, I just discovered your podcast. Where should I start?" And I'm like, "Oh man, <laughs> like there's like there's like 500 hours now between the Mythgard Academy and my original podcast and all all the other things. Um, uh, there's a lot, uh, but anyway, yeah. So Shaping the Middle Earth class just finished. We're gonna the, our next book is gonna be Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, which I'm really pumped about. We're not going to meet this coming week, but we're going to start Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, so two weeks from yesterday, um, I forget which Wednesday that is, like the 9th or 10th of March, I think. Um, I forget the date. So anyway, that, that's that's when we're going to start up Dracula, uh, and we're going to be so we'll, we'll be talking about the first four chapters. Jonathan Harker in Transylvania, going to be awesome. Um, but um, oh god. I yeah. haven't read the book in forever and ever. Oh, you sh- it is really so liked, good. Really oh, man, that book is better every time I, was so I read blown it. Away just by the, the format of it, too, which is so innovative. And just yeah, so... yeah. The epistolary style, so good. Yeah, the, the, oh, the, yeah. the letters. I mean, you know, because we hear about Dracula and stuff, you know, and it's kind of become almost a cultural, you know, like familiarity kind of thing. But when I actually opened the book and started reading, I'm like, whoa. This is I, I, this is awesome! What a what an innovative way to present the story. So yeah, so I, I maybe I'll, I, I assume it's on Audible. Maybe I'll have to catch up before the course starts. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And this is the first uh, this is the first Mythgard Academy class we've done on a public domain book, actually. Um, so uh, all of our books have been you know Tolkien books or or or, or even more recent stuff. So. Um, it's You're branching uh, out, Corey. Yeah, we're branching. We're, we're, we're well. I can't. I, I can't really call a book published in 1897 an old book, but <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's our first older book. It just barely creeps out of the 20th century. Um, so I'm uh, yeah. So I'm 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 very excited. You see, so you can get the book for free if you need to. You can uh, you know, there's lots of audio recordings of it. Um, it's uh, it's really fun. My favorite audio recording is the one I happened across and purchased. Goodness, I don't even know twenty years ago, maybe. Uh, it was one of my maybe first five or six audio books ever, basically. And uh, it's uh, I have a, I have a little side story. Yeah, it's the, a, first, the first time I read this book. Yeah. I was a teenager. Uh huh. And we moved. We actually, my father in the military. We actually moved not just like stations, but to another country. And I was reading the book, and we were staying in a hotel, and I had my own room in the hotel. <laughs> And I would wake up at night just sweating. You know, <laughs> yes. 
the window and the door and oh my god did you actually put put garlic around your door and window i uh, thought about it and <laughs> garlic super, super easy yeah, actually yeah. in italy probably maybe just the whole error it keeps right keeps vampires away you know all the garlic they use yeah but anyway yeah it was i mean happy memories of being scared in the middle of the night from reading this book in a strange hotel room <laughs> yeah oh no that's great yeah i i my my so my favorite old recording that i've had forever is uh this sort of this full cast dramatization like you know the, the different uh the different letter writers Ooh. each have a different voice it doesn't do full cast Ooh. in the sense that like all the minor characters it's just the the narration is done by the different people according to the the, the letters and um uh, and it's just it's, it's by the the, uh, the it's the recording by the Brilliance Corporation, and uh, uh, it's it's so funny. It's I mean, like it's really hokey, uh, especially the guy who does the Van Helsing accent is hysterical. Uh, but uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I'm 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 uh, I'm a big fan. Can't wait. So that is for so that we'll be starting that in March. So start reading your Dracula now. Let's get down to the big business of our episode here. What we need to do, we need to do two things. First, we need to decide all the things that are going to happen, and exactly how we need. So we need we need to make, come to final decisions on all the elements that are going to be included, and then we need to structure them. And remember, we're including episode twelve. We didn't decide on a final structure of episode twelve, so we're going to be mapping out episode twelve and then the big double season finale episode as well. Um, but first, we have to do our brainstorming and make sure that we include all the stuff. Okay. Um, so. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna actually share my screen here. I started jotting down a few notes um, based on discussions that we had last time and um, on um, some of the stuff from the discussion board. So here here are my initial things. So we talked last time about Yovana in response to Aule, right? And, we, and so the uh, the Yovana's distress Yovana's uh, distress in Middle Earth. This is. Uh, the uh, like the, the 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 beast incident right when she sees we, we talked about this last time she sees one of the beasts of, of ivory and horn and like it attacks her and she uh, just you know sort of puts it to sleep and gives it peace and 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 goes and is just mourning over the the you know the horrible marring um, of because it's one of her creatures right it's one of her creatures which has been altered and and twisted um, and she's really and she's really sad about this Hakan added in his outline a wonderful touch of having her meet Orome at this point. So maybe actually Orome was pursuing this beast, which charges in on her. And and she begs him not to kill it. You know, to, you know, please don't don't kill my creatures and Orome's like you know, I'm watching for the you know, the children are going to be born sometime soon and I'm looking I'm looking out for them and I'm worried that, you know, they're going to be in danger. I mean, look at these things, right? So this gives us an opportunity uh to um, uh, to introduce the two things, both to show Oromo, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, uh, to uh, to show the uh, the the concern of Yavanna and sort of this issue of like the marring of Middle Earth, showing that Middle Earth is on a downward trajectory and something must be done. Right. So this is the moment where Yavanna decides something must be done by introducing Orome here, and we've already had one of these beasts being hunted and killed by Orome. Uh, and Tokas remember before um, 
in the uh, in the in the lighting of the trees episode. So um, she meets with and this, but anyway, this also plants the seed of Orome, like here I am over here in Middle Earth looking for the children, so that when we can when we do discover the children later on, we've already planted that. I I, I like that touch. What do you guys think of that? Are you guys cool with that scene? Yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay, all right. So that's 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 one that's one definite scene. We will count that one in. Yavana, uh, Yavana in Midor. So then she has to come back and talk to Orame, right? And he confesses with three S's. Um, Ale, Ale. Did I say Orame? <laughs> she already talked to Orame. Orame doesn't need to confess anything. She talks to Ale, and Ale confesses. Confesses. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> she talks to Aoi. Uh, and Aoi tells him tells her about the dwarves and she's like, Okay, on the one hand that was really not cool. Uh, you know, that was bad what you did, and I'm glad you're real sorry for it. And because you kept it a secret from me, like your creatures and my creatures are not gonna get along, and that's kinda sad. But on the other hand, you had kind of a good idea, you know, and it's true that like something must be done and we do need to you know, our our realms do need to be able to stand against uh against uh Melkor. So this is then what leads her to go to Manway. Mm-hmm. So, so okay, this we talked about last time. I'm kind of going quickly through these because we talked about these before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and by the way, please in the um, um, in the uh, uh, questions box, those of you who are listening live, please feel free to start making suggestions about um, about the um, other stuff. Any. Th- stuff uh anything i mean all i've typed is what you see here on the screen right now so anything else that you want to you know like your favorite thing from the discussion board or an idea of your own throw it out there and we can uh, we can consider it as we go Ooh, karita i hadn't thought of that that's fantastic karita says that she loves the way that that yavana scene sets up the luthien putting karkaroth to sleep in front of the gates of of angband yeah, absolutely. We should make sure that when that happens, Luthien makes exactly the same gesture, whatever the gesture is oh, that Yavana makes when she when she like calms the charging beast and puts it to sleep. Um, we should make Plus sure that Luthien does the same theme. thing. Yes, the same musical theme can 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 come up. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really cool. Love it. Love it. I hadn't even thought of that. I love this kind of typological connection. This Me you too. know being able to show Me these too. echoes. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, um, so she talks to Ale, and she's like, okay, something needs to be done. And so she goes She goes to Manway. So this kind of has to happen, because, of course, this is in the book. But now is when we start getting into some kind of different things. Now, we talked about the vision a little bit last time. And I think, I still think, as we suggested last time, that Aule's vision, this is one of the ways in which we bring the elves, or no, not the elves, the eagles and ents more centrally into the story, is that this vision can be ultimately sort of prompted by this, but I don't th- I don't think it happens here, though. I don't think it happens because, I mean, obviously this Yavanna stuff doesn't have to be the very beginning, though it could be the very beginning of episode 12. Um, but it should, it's, I mean, obviously this stuff has to happen at the beginning. I don't think Manway has the vision here. I think that this vision... This is really rare. I mean, there are only two times in the Silmarillion where, part, where, as part of the story, we get this kind of communion between Manwe and Iluvatar. You know, this kind of event where Manwe receives something from Iluvatar. Uh, the other one, of course, being when the Numenorians invade. So, 
Um, so this is kind of a big deal, and I think we can kind of make it into a big deal. And I was arguing last time that that should really be the culminating point, that the new, the, the renewed vision of the music that, uh, that Manway gets in his vision should include the, the war and the battle. I mean, I think that Manway's reluctance to go to war, his assertion that war is not what they do, war is, if, if Melkor is indeed evil, war is something that he might try to do, but if they do it, they are doing Melkor's work. I mean, it's, 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 it's a very natural position for him to take. Um, the idea that war, even war in a good cause, is something that would be alien to him, I mean, that seems to me really crucial in his job of wanting to rule a harm you know to 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 govern over a, a harmonious world a harmonious arda um and any war is defeat of that this vision should be the thing that changes because i think it's only that that's going to change his mind i mean i think it's own it's he's only going to be able to be re- reassured by Iluvatar himself that war is in fact what they what has to happen, um, you know, that it's not really escapable now. Um, so I'm imagining this as the turning point to happen, that, that needs to happen, therefore, right before the battle, essentially. All the things leading up to it happen first. Um, and so basically, I think we need to present several moments where Manway is presented with the options, right? Like, you know, where people come to him and appeal to him to say, can we please, please, please go to war? And he says no, and he says no, and he says no, and it's only in, when he has this vision that he turns at the end. Um, uh, and so, anyway, okay. Uh, but she's still going to go to him and be like, what do you think about Ents? And he's like, uh, that sounds weird. Uh, you know, I, I, maybe let me think about that. But anyway, she's basically, the, the, center, of the, the center of this conversation <laughs> is not just going to be Ents and eagles. The center of this conversation is going to be Yavanna appealing to Manway and saying, look at what's happening to my creatures, right? And her thing about the Ents could be like a rider. Basically, he says, no, no, we're not going to war. No, we're not going to go imprison Melkor. Um, that's not how it works with us. Um, you know, that's not how we will win. And then she's like, okay, can I at least make some of my trees be able to beat the crap out of these beasts? Because that would be something, right? Um, can I at least... And because Manway will know about Aule too. And she can mention Aule and the dwarves. Um, you know, could I not also have creatures of my own? And he would say, because I love that line, it is a strange thought, right? <laughs> we, we, we can even give him uh, the line that he gets in the book. Um, and she can say, yet it was in the song. And she can encourage him to consider... You know, to, you know, she can leave him by saying, like, consider the music. Um, you know, this is what, you know, like, this is what must be or something like that. But it doesn't happen yet, right? Um, so, uh, anyway, that's, so that stuff is kind of summary from last time. We also talked about, from last time, Sauron, the, so the, uh, the, the, the progress of Sauron slash Myron. Um, we talked about Sauron getting the tour of Angband, right? Um, and the wonderful thing about this, the thing that I love about the, uh, the, the, the Sauron subplot that we've been developing over the last, you know, six episodes or so, 
the thing that I love about this is it gives us an opportunity to give Melkor dialogue, right? We would, in order to have any sense, in order to give our viewers any sense of what Melkor's thinking and what he's planning and what he's up to, we would have to be just giving him lots of, like, you know, cheesy villain monologues, right? Or, like, have him, as we said, having him talk to his cat or something. Um, <laughs> having Sauron coming in, we give it, we just, we give Melkor an interlocutor. That's nice, right? That's so convenient. Um, because one of the things, um, one of the things that I have been wanting for a while is for him to emphasize that the war is the, for him to paint the Valar as the aggressors. You know, for him to be able to say, look, I'm just, defending myself, right? You guys are the ones who started this. Um, and having him make that argument to Sauron, I think, um, is, 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 is... So so we need one scene where Sauron comes to talk to him, but Sauron is not yet in his allegiance, right? Sauron is not yet working for him, but Melkor's kind of bringing him in, and he shows him Angband, and he explains about how this is all the Valar's fault, and he's the wounded party, and all this stuff. Um, uh, and... Um, uh, anyway, yeah, Timothy. Uh, uh, Timothy is asking about the why are the Valar reluctant to go to war. Most of the Valar aren't. Olmo has been totally unreluctant to go to war um, for quite some time. Um, Aule and Yavanna are now behind. Are, are now firmly in the war uh, party among the Valar, um, and others could be too. But again, the thing you have to consider. Timothy, in saying, why would you be reluctant to go to war against obvious evil? There are two things. First of all, for a long time, the evil was not obvious. Now the evil has become more obvious. But to, but to say that you go to war against it is to make an assumption, right? To say that, like, obviously, the thing you do against obvious evil is go to war against it. That presumes something. That presumes already having made the fall that Manway is trying to prevent, Manway is about concord and harmony. Everything should be working together. If you have to fight and beat Melkor down, he wins. That's how Manway thinks of it. And it's quite a natural thing. I mean, nobody wins a war. That's Everybody knows that who's fought in one, right? Nobody wins a war. Um, that's, and so that's his, that's his perspective. That's his point of view. So we do need to talk about that. But again, that's where I think we have this. Uh, it comes up first with Yavanna and Manway. Manway explains to Yavanna why it, why not only why he won't, but why she wouldn't even like it, right? You know, because he he warns her if we go to war, if we were go to if we were to make war on Melkor, um, then much of your many of your creatures would be destroyed. You know, you say you want to protect them. That's not the way to protect them. The way to protect them is to achieve harmony, right? Um, is to the, the the way to protect them is to heal the breach with Melkor, not to deepen it by declaring war on him, right? It, I mean, I think it's a very good argument. I think it would be a very good argument. Um, so, uh, uh, anyway, okay, all right. Um, uh, anyway, okay. So, yeah, exactly, Marie. Manway wants to convert Melkor. He wants to convince him. He wants to persuade him. He wants to show him the error of his ways. He wants to lead... Uh, he, 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 he wants to lead Melkor to repent. He doesn't want to beat Melkor down. Um, okay, but again, so that's not, that's not, and so Timothy, that, that, it's not a Shades of Grey thing. It's not showing them to be less good. It's showing them to be more good. To have them make war on, uh, that's, again, that's Manway's 
that's Manway's whole point. If they make war on evil, then they become evil themselves. They become part of the problem, not part of the solution. Um, so anyway, um, let's, uh, uh, okay. So, so right. So we get conversation number one with Melkor here. Now, Here's one that I have my first question mark here because this one I was, this is not one that we talked about. Well, we mentioned it, the possibility of it last time, but I didn't know that we had decided on it. Um, in the Silmarillion, Morgoth finds the elves first. The, uh, you know, the kidnapping of the elves happens prior to Orome's coming. And remember, there's even that reference to the fact that Melkor... Uh, anticipates the fact that it will probably be Orome who first finds them, and so he manifests like the dark riders, right, to make them terrified of, like, people coming on horseback so that when they see Orome, they'll be afraid of him. Um, so I think having the sequence of having Melkor's people find the uh, elves prior to uh, Orome finding them, I think that that's uh, definitely... I mean, I, I see no reason not to follow the book sequence, uh, in this way, and I think I mentioned the possibility last time of having Sauron be the one who does it. If Sauron finds the elves, then and he reports it not to the Valar but to Morgoth, then, you know, but to Melkor, that is his first act of allegiance. And again, I know we did talk about that. Did we agree on that last time? I know we meant, we we raised it. Did, did we agree that we would want to do it that way? Um. This is the moment where Sauron crosses the line. Because he's got to cross the yeah, line sooner or later, right? Yes, he does. And the question is, should that... Do we do it now? Do we stuff that into the, the season finale as well? Or Well, I think we... Unless we're going to do flashbacks, I think we have to. I mean, unless we're going to do flashbacks to Sauron's... I think the Sauron... I think the Myron turning question... I mean, the whole... That, I mean, it doesn't have to take up a lot of time, but I think it needs to happen in season one. Yeah. I mean, you know... We have been building episode, it. Yeah. 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 That's true and and in yeah, and I guess yeah, I guess we don't want to drag that out too long since since in the source material, I mean, he's already he's already in charge of Angband at this point. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. So we don't want to we don't want to deviate maybe deviate too far from that. That could create difficulties down Exactly. The road. Exactly. And as Marie points out, if we're going to have Sauron be in charge uh, of the Necromantic Orc project, it makes sense to have him involved in this stage, you know, like that it, it that makes that that whole connection a little bit more um intuitive. Um so so yeah, yeah, okay. All right, so Sauron, um, and by the way, having some flashback, remember we're going to do some flashbacks anyway from the Elvish point of view, right? So, um, so uh, we can, we could do like Sauron meeting the elves uh, and, you know, we can come back, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on that because we can come back to that in episode one of season two if we want to, Um and, and bring that out a little bit more. But that's a question for a different day. Okay, but the Sauron reports the thing to Melkor and that this is his first turning point. Um, that's, uh, I, I think, I, I like that. I think that's a big deal. Now let's, let's, um, let's pause here. Let's, 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 let's continue here. Let's finish. We need to make some decisions about Sauron. Where are we going to bring Sauron? by the end of this episode. In particular, the question, and this was a question being debated on the discussion boards this week, are we going to, because we've talked about the possibility, are we going to do the reveal of Sauron's name in uh, here? Are the Valar going to know 
that he's an enemy? How do we... Do, I, I can imagine three different possibilities, right? One in which we don't really show his official conversion at all in this episode. I don't think that's a very good option, but that's one option. Another option would be he goes all the way, <clears throat> right? And he fights against the Valar, and the moment of betrayal comes when Aule, you know, finds Myron fighting against him, and you know, so he, he, he reveals that he has turned his coat, and it's publicly known. There's also the middle ground option where... We, the viewers, know he has officially turned his coat and sworn allegiance to Melkor and is fighting against the Valar, but the Valar don't know this. And this would enable him to carry on working not only on the necromantic project, but also occasionally to be doing covert ops back in Valinor in, uh, you know, in the character of Myron, uh, if the Valar don't yet know that he is out there officialed. Uh, officially, yeah, Marie brought this up, and this, this, is, this, is, um, uh, this was raised on the... Uh, um, on the discussion boards as well. You're right, Marie. Of course, Sauron. The name Sauron means the abhorred, uh, and uh, so Marie is arguing for. And this was this was well articulated on on the discussion boards. He kind of needs to do something to deserve that name. I mean, if the name means the abhorred. Uh, nobody really abhors him yet. Um, so the whereas the the, the necromantic orc project uh, gives him the opportunity to do plenty of abhorrent things which would lead the elves to name him Sauron. Um, I totally agree with that, and, like, in a vacuum, I think that's really good, and I think that would be it would be really cool if that name, just like the name Morgoth, comes from the elves, um, you know, comes from Feanor, to have the name Sauron really come from the elves and have them rename this sketchy turncoat Myron character Sauron is really satisfying. But here's the non-vacuum element to that. And that is... But our viewers know Sauron, right? And I feel like it would do a service to our viewers if they... Like, basically, if, if there's just this turncoat guy and they don't yet know... He's only been called Myron, and they don't yet know... His, except for, like, a few, you know, wiseacres, uh, uh, Tolkien geeks, who know who he really is. Most of the people watching aren't going to know. Um, so having the reveal to... Uh, you know, to, 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 to... So that the viewers know that this is actually Sauron... That kind of seems to me important. I think if we wait until season two to do that, it's going to seem a little anticlimactic. You know, it, it feels like this is the moment when the dramatic, sh you know, the, the, the shape of the drama suggests it should fall here. What do you guys think? Right. At the very, at the very least, the very least, um, I feel like if, um, if we don't reveal that it's Sauron, um, you know, by I think doing it here, doing it here makes sense because we can kind of leverage we can leverage the presupposed background knowledge of the viewers. They're like, oh, hey, that they're familiar with the Lord of the Rings story and they've heard of this guy before. Whereas, if we don't do that, um, that we we would probably need to invest more time in developing this character so that so that the um, um, so that the audience cares about him beyond the fact that like, oh yeah, it's Sauron. Right. I mean, I, I basically, I feel like we would be, do, you know, there are two characters that should be well known to pretty much anybody who has a pulse, right? I mean, the Peter Jackson movies have made the Lord of the Rings story 
sufficiently central in the public awareness that anybody is going to know, pretty much. Anyone's going to recognize Sauron, and anyone's going to recognize Aragorn. And here we are in season one, basically playing coy with both of those characters, right? With the boy Estelle and uh, and the 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 Maya Myron. And I, I both of those had to be wound up. I, 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 I feel that way. Too. I feel if we if we end season one yeah. still being coy about both of those things, mm-hmm. we've at mm-hmm. least lost an opportunity. At worst, I set hate, people up to be as irritated. A viewer, I would hate that. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I would. I would feel. I would not like that. I would be really pissed <laughs> as a viewer if that happened. Yeah. So I mean, like, so Marie, I totally feel the the the. Um, I totally feel the, uh, uh, the, the that, that desire to connect it with his name. Um, and it would be kind of a shame not to have, um, you know, not to kind of... Because most people don't have any idea what the name Sauron means, right? So to actually leverage that in the show would be cool. And I would hate to lose that coolness. But because that's the name everybody knows him by, I don't think we can avoid doing it. Um, now, Marie, that's interesting. Marie, like, Marie is so gracious. Um, Marie, <laughs> Marie has an excellent suggestion. Oh, what a, what, what, a, what a wonderful middle ground. Okay, so Marie suggests Gothmog names him. Because, of course, like, Sauron, or Mor- Melkor's not going to give him that name, right? You know, he's, because, I mean, how, how, how funny would that be, right? He's been working and working to recruit Myron, right? So now Myron is serving him. <laughs> and he's like, Myron, thanks for joining me. You have totally joined the right side. You are now fighting the fight of the angels with the good guys over here, the oppressed minority. Uh, thanks for fighting the good fight with me, Myron. I'm going to give you a new name, and I'm going to call you the Abhorred, right? Uh, welcome to the party, right? I mean, they just... Exactly. He should be calling him the beloved. He should be giving him a flattering name, not an insulting right. name. Like, right? totally. That's so smart, Marie Gothmog, because we've already talked about the fact that Gothmog would be, like, totally jealous. Yeah, Gothmog like, would be really jealous. So he, he, he would say, you know, and he could even make it prophetic. You know, he could say something like, you will be called the abhorred. Um, oh, and, oh. Uh, or, 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 you know, he, he'd say, like, I, I'll call you, know... It, you know, it, he, he names him Sauron the Abhorred, and Sauron is like, what are you talking about? You know, no one abhors me, and uh, uh, Gothmog says, like, they will. Um, anyway, it, that would be cool. Just, you know, talk about, I mean, talking about him to his Balrog cronies and calling him names. Right, exactly. <laughs> this is what we've already named you. Don't count on it. We, we, we call you this in the locker room. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> No one abhors me. Don't count on it. <laughs> Don't count on it. Yeah, exactly. That's what you think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the Balrogs already abhor you plenty. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and don't forget, he, there's also he's also got two other names, right, that we uh, can roll out at different times. Gorthour the Cruel is one of his names. Um, but I would love to still have him known, especially during his time um, as the necromancer... Uh, uh, of uh, um, of the you know when, when he takes over the the island in 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 in, in, in Tulsirian, you know the the joint that Luthien wrecks, um, I to have him have his name of Thu, 
uh, the uh, the wizard. I, I think oh, that would yeah, be yeah. that would be yeah. really cool. So yeah, he can't be called uh, 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 the Lord of you know Anatar, the Lord of Gifts yet, Brandon. That's got to be a secret. That's got to be a surprise. You know, later on, we we can't have anybody smell that out. Um, uh, so yeah, that's a totally that that's a second age deal that'll 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 come later on. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, um, exactly, Marie. That important trait of to- of a uh, 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 Tolkien prophetic naming. Exactly. Okay. All right. So, uh, so let's see. Here we go. Um, let's see. All right. So Sauron gets his name from Gothmog. Let's do that. Love it. Now, do we do we have him come out of the closet or does he stay in the evil closet? Are we going to have him do anything covert? Um, is he going to be on the, you know, is, is he still going to be able to be on the inside over there in Valinor or is he going to be full-time Middle-earth public villain in season two? I like the idea of us knowing that he's made the decision, but the Valor not knowing in this season. Um, we could always do something, you know, that retrospective in season two in terms of, you know, if we needed to explain anything. But I, I mean, like in other words, I, I'm not sure that we want to make a huge deal out of the Valor finding out, you know, like a whole episode about it in season mm-hmm. two. But I would like to leave. I mean, I guess the question would be, what would be the benefits of that? What would be the benefit of Sauron not coming out yet? The benefits of him not coming out is that we get the opportunity the of, of like intrigue, right? Yes. Um, yes. And he can be trying to foil the plans of the Valor during the war, trying to be a spy, or I mean that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. He he can he, he can still be a spy right up to, you know through and including the battle. Right. Um, right. He could. Uh, there's still opportunities for him. If he's able to go back to Valinor, then he can be the one who can, like, when Melkor gets unchained, you know, he can give him a briefing, basically. Not only of what's been going on in Middle-earth, but what's been going on in Valinor. Um, that prevents us... But now he's doing the, he's doing the work project while Melkor's chained, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So, he, so he'd but, be doing that also in secret. Absolutely, Yeah. Yeah. So he doesn't have to be a public captain. Like, you know, he doesn't have to be, like, the guy visibly in charge uh, over in Middle-earth during the first part of season two. During the That just the seems more difficult to me. That, that, yeah. yeah that, that, the Sauron is double agent. I agree. That seems more Sauron-like. Yeah. You know, he's not just a he's right. not just a captain of war. You know, Gothmog is the heavy. Uh, Sauron is the subtle one. He's always the subtle one. I mean, down to you know, Anatar, the Lord of Gifts, and what he does with Numenor, and then what he, uh, you know, even as uh, as people were pointing out on the discussion board, even what he does with Denethor is really backdoor. You know. Um, yep. Uh, so it's you know he's he's all, he's all about this the 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 subtlety and the sneakiness, um, so um, so yeah I, I think so so let's so okay so we um, so then I'll just we don't have to include a scene because we don't have to include a listing of something that is not happening, uh, so I will just note uh, Sauron uh, not 
out in the open. This is easy. This is uh, the easier in that, of course, at the end we're going to show him being the captain in Angband and holding down, well, holding down the literal fort um, while Morgoth is chained. But of course, Angband is still secret, and the Valar will not have discovered it. Um, so he doesn't have to come out of the closet in order to be, um, in order to be uh, 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 the captain there in in Angband. Um, okay, so he's still hiding. Uh, all right. Okay. So, anything else about the Sauron subplot that we need to that we need to point to? Anything else we want to have him do? Um, do we want to have him report to Morgoth about the um, the Valar attacking? I mean, do we want to do we want to show him like there at the council and you know uh, coming over, or, or we could just show him? Maybe we just note this, you know, Sauron. Or sorry, still. Myron, at he gives him a heads up at council. Implicit giving of heads up to. I wonder if there's a way to show that without Myron's doing this, the Valor would have actually been more victorious. Well, I think that in yeah in in the battle we can show that the battle that like Morgoth is ready for them right you know that he has he right, has his right. defenses laid and ready to go which if, if Myron hadn't done that then he wouldn't he would have been taken by surprise right exactly so I'm thinking sure. basically what what we can do is um is we can have um we can have my. We don't have to show a scene. Like we don't have to depict a scene where Myron comes to Melkor and is like, "Master, Master, they're coming," because that would be cheesy. But what right. we could do is when the uh, um, when Manway comes back to the Council of the Valar, having had the vision, and tells them, "Yes, we will go to war." We can show, like Myron can be there on the outskirts of that meeting, and we can just show him slipping out the door. You know, with a with a furtive look back over his shoulder, um, and that you know. Right should at that point be enough to convey, like, we know where he's going and we know whom, who, whom he's telling. Um, right. So, so yeah, we don't, have to, we don't have to drag that out. Okay, cool. All right, good. Um, all right, another subplot that we need to work out that we spoke of very little last time. Varda and the stars. So, okay, I'm thinking my uh my dramatic entry Varda and Manway talk I know that sounds like a really exciting scene um I'm kind of thinking the the thing with Manway we don't want Manway's we need to give Manway an opportunity to express this dilemma that he's caught in right his not wanting to go to war because we have to make sure uh, we have to make sure that it's not um, uh, it doesn't look like mere weakness or timidity um, or fear or anything like that. You know, we have to show why you know he's doing this. So, so we need we need some dialogue to do this in his initial conversation with Yavanna. We'll show that, but I'm 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 picturing a follow up conversation, a private follow up conversation with Varda. Um, and I wanted to link that to Varda's making of the stars. Because remember, the stars that Varda makes and the constellation that Varda makes include things like the sign of doom for the overthrow of Melkor. It's pretty clear Varda should be on the pro-war side, right? So I think that having sort of two corresponding scenes, one where he is in council being 
you know, vociferously urged to declare war by people like Olmo, um, who are speaking very passionately about it, you know, and so it's this big, like, debate in public council. I think having a corresponding scene where he's sort of sharing his misgivings and um, and his sense that in doing so, he, you know, that, like, he would have failed in his charge, you know, in the charge given to him by Iluvatar. Um, I think that that should come from Varda in private, because she's going to be certain. I mean, she's going to she's going to be. I think she's going to be ready to go, and I think the stars show that she's ready to go. Um, and I'm thinking that maybe it's that conversation with Varda. Maybe she is the one who urges him to uh, basically consult Iluvatar on this one. You know, to you know, go up onto the onto the holy mountain, to go up to Nikwatil. And uh, have a little alone time with Iluvatar on this question, and see uh, and and see what he. Th- and then while he does that, I'm thinking like while the vision is happening, while Manway is having you know his little tête-à-tête with Iluvatar on top of Teniquitil, that's when Varda makes the stars. Um, Varda knows the answer, right? She knows she knows what's gonna happen, um, uh, and what the answer is gonna be. She just like it has to be revealed to to Manway by um, by Iluvatar, but she knows what's gonna what's going to come. Um, yeah, Marie, exactly. He needs some kind of an impetus, not just because we can't just have him be bullied in, 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 in council either. Again, then he's weak, right? If, 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 if what we have is finally him caving into Olmo, then what we're showing is Manway being a weak leader. And I don't think we, we can do that. Um, so anyway, um, So that, that that that's so that's what I mean by the uh, the this private talk between uh, Manway and uh, and Varda. Um, what do you guys think about that? Are you cool with that? Yep, I am. I think that's good. yeah. And that's, I, I like this. You know, I think showing man. I think we need to be showing Manway and Varda. We've talked about this before. I mean, I think that should be like a necessary ingredient, especially this season. Right. Of them having conversations. Right. Ooh. I forgot. Didn't last time we talk about like the two of them going up on to Nicotil together and like yep. looking, seeing, and hearing what's going on in Middle Earth? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That would be a yeah. the, 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 the we the special effects um, um, potential of that. Yes. Um, doing some really cheesy. That was Philip's idea of Briggs thingy in the background when when the camera's showing them. Yeah, 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 that's right. Valinor to their back, and then it shifts to Blind Guardian as the camera slews to what they're looking at. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Oh, and Brandon, there totally has to be musical accompaniment to Varda making the stars. And and, and that's going to be a really important musical theme because that's going to come up a lot. I mean, that's the musical theme that's going to be playing when Sam is looking up at the star twinkling through the through the, the clouds in Mordor, you know, down the road like that same Varda making the stars musical theme motif should be coming back then should be coming back pretty much all you know I, when when so when a Arendel, you know launches his ship up into the stars with the silver on his brow we should get the varda theme played again when uh you know when uh, uh when frodo takes out the file of goadriel and she loves lara we should get the varda theme played again absolutely oh, it's going to yeah. be a really important theme absolutely. Readily recognizable themes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. We need to hire. A, we need to hire a, 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 you know, music maker or music writer. Oh, absolutely. What is it called? 
Composer, you know, <laughs> composer, exactly. Yeah, the person, <laughs> person who makes music happen. You know that. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, the person that who thinks person. music. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm talking just like an executive producer. <laughs> exactly. Yes, one of those music people. Whatever they do, make them do it. Yes. <laughs> Okay, now, great question. Great question, Chris. Chris Graham asks, how do we visually depict the kindling of the stars? And then what exactly does star kindling look like? Totally agree. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm thinking two extremes here, and I'm wanting to fall somewhere in the middle. Uh, one extreme would be to make it extremely mechanical. And uh, in the Book of Lost Tales, for instance, it's the sparks that fly off of, Aul- of Aule's forge that... Um, uh, you know, he's forging silver and she sees the sparks and she takes the sparks and puts them in the sky. That's like a really mechanical version of it to like show her actually forming physical sparks and then like chucking them up into the sky. On the other end of the spectrum would just be like Varda singing and the stars wink into being in the skies above her. Oh my God, I have this mental image of a batting, you know, a pitching machine. Yeah, exactly. She just feeds them into the slot and they shoot up into the skies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm in a mood today. I <laughs> right, so I'm thinking we don't want it to be super mechanical. I mean, imagining her forming stars with her hands, I don't think we want to show her doing that. But I feel like it should be something more than just she sings and then stars appear in the sky. I mean, we could do I it do that like way. I like the L.A. Spark thing because it also, I don't know, there's... It, it kind of underlines the underlie, underlines the cooperation amongst the Valar kind of thing, or the fact that they have synergies. You know what I mean? So she's not doing it on her own. I mean, right. Well, no, but she wouldn't be doing it on her own. We could show her. Um, we could show her getting light from the vats of Telperion. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Right. Okay. That would be a little bit more cooperative. The thing I don't like. I have to admit, I don't really like the Spark story from. Um, from the Book of Lost Tales, mostly because it makes the stars seem too derivative. You know, like, and the stars, the great and most glorious work of Varda, are basically a byproduct of, like, whatever the heck thing Aule was working on that day. You know, like that. It seems to it seems to, to lower them. Um, I would want them to be... Does, but I mean, I will defer to you because I'm in your wake, but I don't think it does devalue them. No. I mean, I think there's some... Because Aule's like this artisan... Right, so like having him help craft stars on purpose to be like... But okay. I mean, it, it, so you're thinking like the, the leftovers of what he's doing. Exactly, it's like she sweeps up the sawdust from the floor and makes the stars out of it. I mean, that's, that's what I don't like about that story, you know. Um, uh, it, 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 it would be okay for them to be a product recycling. of L.A., just not a byproduct. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Theme. Yeah, exactly. It's very, you know, Reuse, very recycle, Valinor style, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, Tim, that is an excellent point. Tim Mott says uh, she can hold a star which looks like a Silmaril. Yeah, foreshadowing of the Silmarils themselves. Um, in fact, even, even, Tim, we could go a step further than that and we could have a star like appear on her brow as she sings. Like Feanor will wear the Silmarils on his brow, which will be a nod back to Varda and the stars. And of course, Eärendil will ultimately wear the, the, the Silmaril on his brow and become a star, right? Oh, that's pretty nice. That's awesome. So, so actually, that argues even more than for her to be using the light from the trees, right? 
Yes. So maybe we maybe what we do is we would have to depict the first star, right? Which could be like the North Star or something. Um, and uh, or maybe we make it the center of one of the of one of the named constellations. Um, uh, but anyway, um, we um, you know like it could be um, you know it could go up and be like uh, you know Rigel in uh, in Orion. Of course, Orion, the swordsman of the stars, a very important constellation. Um, uh, Menomachar with his shining belt. Um, but anyway, so so we. Uh, um, Oh, now you're just showing off. Okay. <laughs> hey, like the discussion boards were all over this man. They have all the constellations listed, and uh, they're talking about the significance of all of them. Uh, I know. I'm just. Uh, I'm just <laughs> summarizing. Um, uh, <laughs> you're just yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so but we could we could take you know you know. 90 seconds to two minutes of our screen time of in maybe in episode 12 and actually depict the making of the first star. So, so the two of them have their vision moment, right? The two, not their vision moment. The two of them have their, um, uh, their seeing and hearing middle earth moment together. Manway then goes up, you know, to the highest place in Tenequitil and is going to, is going to commune with, uh, um, which should look by the way, uh, the, the ascent up to Tenequitil to the highest point in, Tenequitil, uh, should the the ascent to the uh, um, to the mental Tarma in Numenor should look just like that. Uh, but anyway, um, he goes up there to commune with 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 Eru. She goes down to Valmar, and like so, we we could do something like we could show her dipping her hands into the silver vats uh, of Telperion, so we can show like this pool of silver light in her hands. And she can take that and either form it or, you know, maybe it, 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 it like sort of comes together into like one bright shining spot. You know, I don't know if it like levitates up or whatever, but she's singing, right? She's singing and, um, uh, and she, um, uh, she, so the, 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 the little pool of light in her hands comes together into one super bright point and maybe we show that resting on her brow and maybe it goes, maybe either it stays and, you know, the other stars go up or, 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 this, or the light ascends from her brow as she continues to sing. Or maybe she carries it, right? You know, so then she walks with it shining on her brow um, and she walks through. Uh, actually, I kind of like that. She walks through the streets of Valmar because she's just been at the trees, right? She walks through the streets of Valmar and as she goes, the light increases and she uh, goes up. Um, I, I like this idea because other people would see it, right? That this should be a labor that is witnessed by many, and and it's people know this is like a big deal. What's happening, right? So then she processes up back to to Nicotil, back up the holy mountain, and then from there she sends in. It's from there that we see the star comes off her brow and ascends up into the sky. And Marie, you've got it in one. Wow. It should be Sirius, yeah. Sirius is the star that it should end up being um, because it is associated with Menelmakar. Um, with with, with yeah. it's Sirius is near Orion and it's the brightest star in the sky, um, so it goes up and it beca- it will become eventually Sirius. And then we can after that we don't have to show her doing this every single time, like f- you know shuttling back and forth between the vats. Here comes Varda for the four thousand eight hundred and sixty first time oh, trudging God. up. A, uh, like breaking songs out of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
But anyway, we just, you know, so after that, we, we can just sort of pan off and we hear her voice and we can then show the rest of the stars appearing, uh, you know, surrounding surrounding Sirius. But we should focus on, I think, um, I think the two, um, uh, the two, uh, uh, the, the, the two constellations that we mostly want to show are the, the Valakirka, the sickle of the Valar set in the north um, for the with that's like the Big Dipper essentially um, set in the north <clears throat> as a sign of Morgoth fall and Menelmachar with his shining belt. We we do need to make sure we show both Orion and the Big Dipper yeah. clearly, but the Big Dipper like that's basically the the Big Dipper is kind of like the Valar throwing down the gauntlet. You know, um, that's that's Morgoth is going to see that. I mean, I think we could even cut to Morgoth and have him. Looking up at the stars and being, uh, uh, like holy cow! Yeah, being amazed and a little bit uneasy, I think. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Um, all right. Light from tell pair. I'm forget- forgetting to write. Okay, that's fine. That's good. All right. So we've got that. Um, now, let's talk about the Aeonway incident. Um. Because I think this is uh, this was this was a wonderful suggestion. I mentioned it briefly last time, but let's go over this again. Um, okay, um, the impetus of this is again Manway's impulse is not to declare war. Manway's impulse is to uh, is to try to talk Melkor around, right? Um, so Aonway gets sent uh, to Etomno. Item no with an O. Okay, right? Um, Manway sends him over. He's the herald of Manway, so, you know, he says, summon him, right? Uh, he goes over to summon him over to Valinor. He wants Melkor to appear. In, so basically, Manway says, no, we're not going to war. That would be destructive. That would be like a defeat. That would be awful. Um, terrible idea, guys. But you know what? Okay, you're right. We do need to call Melkor to account. We need to get to the bottom of what he's doing, why he's doing it. We need to not just sit here, you know, with our fingers in our ears, right? So, so his counter suggestion. So, wh- whereas Olmo is saying, "I've got an idea. How about we go over and squash him right now?" Uh, Manway's like, "No, no, no, no squashing." But okay, you're right. Let's do something. What we need to do? Let's. So we'll summon him to appear in f- before us in Valmar and uh, and to 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 explain what the heck is going on. So he sends Ayanway. Ayanway, go over and 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 uh, go to Atumno. And tell Melkor to get his butt over here and explain what the heck he's doing, right? So he goes over, um, and uh, uh, Morgoth imprisons him, right? Morgoth says, "No, I'm not going." Um, and he has, and the Balrogs come and seize Aonwe, right? So Balrogs, no, with an L, even Balrogs, Nab. Aonwe. Okay, right? So now, again, those of you who are participating in this in the discussion board, let me know. I, I'm told this, is compl- this idea is completely from the discussion board. It's not my idea at all, though. I love it. And what I love about this is that we, we should get make sure to chain Aonwe to a wall high up somewhere. That must happen. Aonwe's what? Yes. Aonwe what? We've got to chain Aonwe to a wall high up somewhere. We've got to make, because we, oh, we want right, to right, right. establish the parallel with Mithros, right? 
Loving the Mybros parallel. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, now, the question is what happens to Aeonwe? Um, and there are many, there are many suggestions. Um, I like the idea, like basically, so, and, 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 and this is, uh, he's going to get back to Valinor. But the suggestion was basically that they, they kill him. They torture him to death. Or he sacrifices himself. He, like, surrenders his form in some way. So there are two options. One option is uh, the Balrogs kill him, eventually. They imprison him. He defies them. Right? We can have even... We can, hey, we can anticipate Hurin in Morgoth as well. Um, that would be kind of fun, actually. Uh, but anyway... Um, uh, anyway, so Aonwe defies Morgoth. And Morgoth either kills him or Aonwe sacrifice like he disembodies himself. Not uh, but in like a in like a self-sacrificial like he's basically martyring himself. He's giving up he's giving up uh, his 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 life. Yeah, I know Mithros is a better parallel. You're right, Marie. Marie is chastising me for uh, mixing up my uh, my typological foreshadowings here. We can't have him be both Mithros and Hurin at the same time. Okay, okay, okay. You're right. We'll keep him Mithros. <laughs> we'll keep him Mithros. Oh, wait, no. Good Marie, job, you're saying... You keep them on the... You're saying you like Hurin better? Oh, well, I mean, you're right. We probably shouldn't do both, though. Hmm... <sighs> Well, but he's not going to be the... F- I mean, we don't have to cut his arm off, necessarily. I mean, because well, we're not going to rescue him, right? I mean, the idea is that he's going to get killed and he's going to return to Va- to Valinor disembodied. And that's where we can show... This is what I liked about... This is what I was getting excited about before when we were talking about the physical suffering of the Valar, is that we can have... We can have Aonwe show how... A, how they suffer, right? And B, what happens to them when they die. So that... We don't have people wondering about that when the battle comes. So Aonwe is killed and his spirit returns to Lorien, so we show what happens to them. But we can also show Aonwe weak, right? And needing to... And, and, and Lorien can talk about, you know, Lorien with his gentle bedside manner can be like, you just rest now, right? Uh, you know, and, uh, and you know, he, he's okay and he's going to be okay. But it's, you know, it... it, it it will be some time, you know, he, he will need to rest and heal here in Lorien until he can re-embody himself, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, three questions here. We need, a, we need to make a decision here on three options with Aonwe. Does he, A, get killed by Morgoth? Does he, B, escape and return to warn the Valar? Or does he see sacrifice his life in some dramatic fashion and then end up with his spirit back in Valinor? What do we think? Hmm. Lydia is in... Is it, should I make a poll? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I could make a poll. Kind of amusing, but do we really want to trust... Uh, Trust the Aonway's fate to the uh, the unwashed masses, right? To, to a public vote, yeah. That's not very. Uh, that's 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 not very studio exec of us, is it? <laughs> Voice of the people. What? Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Um, so 
sacrifice. Yes, Mick, this is the guy. He is the mightiest in arms in Arda. That's, that is the same guy, Mick, that we're talking about, the one who is described. And he's also the one, remember, he's the one who's going to be leading the expeditionary force in the War of Wrath. He is the general of the armies of Valinor in the War of Wrath. Um, so he's going to get his back. Um, and it will be it will be really cool to be able to remember this scene when Aonwe is there overseeing the throwing of Morgoth on his face the second time, right? Um, so he'll get his. Um, but yeah, Karita, that's just what I was thinking. If he dies and re-embodies himself, like basically he can get kind of upgraded, right? By, so if he sacrifices and loses the body that he embodied himself in, the like. You know, like if you strike Aonway down, he will become more powerful than Morgoth can possibly imagine, right? As we had established earlier on in this episode. Um, His might in arms could be in part a consequence of the sacrifice that he does here. Like Gorfindel, Mariel, like Gandalf, of course, coming back as Gandalf the White. Uh, now, it's not the same. Gandalf's relationship with his body is different from the other Maiar. Like, I don't, I don't want to confuse things there, but, um, uh, but still, kind of, kind of, uh, kind of parallel. Um, um, yeah, now, so, Tom, exactly. This is the doubt, this is the concern I want to make sure that we avoid, and that I think we can take the opportunity of Aonwe to, uh, uh, to to sort of show uh, uh, Tom is pointing out that the uh, the bonds would need to be enchantments of some kind. Like we can't just have physical chains chaining him up because he could simply disembody it at will if he wanted to. Yes, yes, but Morgoth would presumably have the ability to chain him, just as M- Morgoth himself is going to be chained, and that of course can be a lovely parallel as well. Just as he has chained um, Aonwe, so he is going to be chained. Uh, 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 by the Valar at the end. Um, so, ooh, Tom is asking, does Sauron make the chain? Oh, 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 ha oh, oh, yeah. That's good. That is kind of good. Showing Sauron at his forge for the first time, right? Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, oh, oh man, I'm getting this visual image of Myron at his forge, and he's forging a ring, except it's not like a ring that you, it's like a manacle, or it's like a, a ring to go around uh, Ianwe's neck, right? Um, so it's like the, it's, it's, you know, so the, 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 the visual parallel giving like with the ring and dominion and enslaving others, right? Oh man, so many possibilities. Yeah, Marie, exactly. Aule makes the chain for milk. I assume that's what Tom was thinking of. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, that is, okay. No, I love that too much. We have to do that. Okay. All right. Hang on. Hang on. All right. All right got this Sauron forging his chain. So we can have the Balrogs holding him, and then he's like, "Hang on, right? Gonna we gotta because, well, or maybe, well, all right. I'm gonna leave this to the people who write our outlines to uh, do this. We don't have to work out every detail. Um, uh, you know, Nick and uh, uh, and the rest of them can sort this out. Um, okay, so so he's uh, so 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 there we go. Yeah, so Nick, uh, you. Work this out for us, the, those of you who are working on scripting, um, exactly how that sequence works. But, okay, so Sauron forges his chain. The, ba- the Balrogs nab him. Sauron makes his chain. Um, I want him chained to a wall because I want to recall. I, I, it's okay, Marie. You know what? I, I just want to foreshadow both of them, and I don't care. So we're going to foreshadow the capturing of Mithros. 
you know, briefly, we don't need to make a big deal of it. Just need to chain the guy to a wall and then have Morgoth take him to a, uh, to a high place. And then so he, he defies Melkor like Hurin. Okay. Um, and then... Are we going to have him killed? Did we decide whether we're having him killed? I think we need to have him killed. I think we need to have I him killed. So. I think we do. I mean, he's still gonna. I mean, it's it's like escaping in a way, anyway, right? Um, but basically, when he defies Melkor, Melkor, you know, uh, Melkor can be all like, you know, like come over to the dark side, and he's like, no, and uh, you know, uh, you know, heck no, I came to like bring you, oh, you know, uh, uh, before I, you know, I. I came to bring you to like the mercy and grace of Manway, um, or if not to his judgment, um, and uh, and Melkor basically as an as an act of defiance to show that he is not subject to this. He's got to kill him, right? He's got to, and he yeah, knows right. he knows yeah, that it's not right. like permanent death, right? Um, so I don't know. I think I think we uh, um, okay. All right, all right. So. Murray's argument here. Um, oh, Chris Graham says the killing of Aonwe would foreshadow the kinslaying. Um, well, yeah, Aonwe just becomes like the the, sing, the figure which foreshadows every other future story. Um, so, uh, uh, so okay, so so you know, yeah, yeah, Marie, I wasn't necessarily suggesting that Melkor personally had to off him. Uh, we can have the Balrogs kill him. That's okay. Um, so Aonwe decides to escape, and the Balrogs kill. So Aonwe tries to escape, and the Balrogs kill him. Okay, all right, we can do that. Um, okay, Aonwe fights. Uh, Balrogs kill him. I have this really funny image of the Balrogs killing him and like throwing his body down, um, and like just like the Balrogs standing around the edge of a cliff watching somebody fall to his death. Just that's kind of a, I, I just have that sort of as a image that would be really funny to people who know about Balrogs. Um, you know, one Balrog says to the other, boy, that would suck, wouldn't it? Um, anyway. Um, <laughs> I'd, hate to, I'd hate to have that happen. Yeah, exactly. Phew, yeah. Um, yeah, like the two Balrogs that throw him off the cliff could be the, the, the it could be Durin's Bane and the one that fights Gorfindel, right? <laughs> uh <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, uh, Mario, you're right. This is the first time we fully see the. I mean, we, we've sh- we've we've we will have seen them uh, before, but like having the 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 sort of the full reveal of Balrogs in their full in their full might. Um, I'm actually thinking full reveal in the battle, but um, but the Balrogs should definitely should definitely be scary. Um, uh, okay, all right. All right, good. So that's that's the Aonway story. So then, meanwhile, back in Valinor, um, so we should get an uh, Aonway in Lorien uh, scene, right? Explain he will get better. Maybe even ha- maybe even Mandos can drop by because, of course, he's he's Lorien's brother, right? Um, talking about how. Um, uh, you know, he will be the greatest in arms in all Arda, right? Because um, even from, like, a purely Valar perspective, this makes sense, right? His, 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 
um, his body is determined by his spirit. Remember, we talked about that. It's it's their choice. It's what they do. It's what, and so the fact that he. Um, he was initially a messenger. That was his job. He was the messenger of Manway. But having chosen to defy Melkor and chosen to fight against him, he has now become a much more martial spirit. And so when he returns, he's going to be the mightiest in arms of, in all Arda um, because that's like how his spirit, um, how his spirit huh. goes. Exactly. Okay, cool. All I right. Like cool. All right. So Mandos and Mandos explains how that's going to, how that's going to happen. So, okay. Um, how many councils of the Valar do we want? We want a post-Aeonwe one, I assume? No, we want a pre-Aeonwe one, right? Um, because- yeah, probably we need, like, two, right? Right. Before and after. One to show that they're that there's some support for this idea but but a great deal of reluctance and to and to do a and to a good do a good job of communicating why they should be reluctant and then the other one to 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 you know the other one's the more dramatic like okay and now it's time to go to war right i feel like both of those are essential right yes yes council of the Valar number 2 so is number 2 going to be post vision then right so uh, post vision manway Says, okay, let's go. Yeah, right. Yeah, I would say any 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 precipitating. Yes, yeah, sorry. Any precipitating factors. Um, um, uh, any precipitating factors to the decision to go to war should take place between the councils, right? Right. Right. Post vision, post Ionway. Manway says, okay, let's go. And I, you know, so Manway calls for war. Tears the, streaming down his cheeks, and you know I the the, the the. I feel like the first council can be a scene. The second council need not be. Yeah. Especially if we're gonna if we're gonna show all of the things leading to the decision, the second the second council could literally just be a shot of them of oh, them. Ma- oh, and it can foreshadow the, the council of Elrond. We're doing so much foreshadowing. That that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. It should. It should. It should uh, the the second council should should um, conclude with various Valar and, and my my volunteering. <laughs> exactly. Volunteering you have my weapons. sword. <laughs> you have my tree branch. You have my ocean. <laughs> 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 yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's excellent. Um, yeah. So um, no, but. But I agree with you. We we don't need debate again, right? Olmo doesn't need to make his speech again. Olmo's speech hasn't changed, right? He's right. still keen on war. We don't need to hear his side again. What we could even do is just have post vision, have Manway deliver the speech where he explains how they're going to go go to what he's seen in his vision that they're going to go to war and and what it's going to cost, right? He's going to explain that too. How this is this is not going to be just as this is not going to be, you know, the 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 the. Victory, you know that you guys might expect that it's going to be. It's going to cost a lot, but and we can show that he's doing this in front of the whole conclave, right? So we can show that this is happening in council. It can be the same place visually that the council, the first council, happens. So we can tell that there is a second council. But yeah, we don't have to get you know do a whole back and forth there. They're all detailed again. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so, other than the battle, is there anything else that needs Are to happen? Going to follow Robert's rules of order. I'm sorry. Oh, are they going to follow Robert's rules? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Seconded. Mandos says seconded. Yes, exactly. That's going to be good. Um, 
okay. Um, so, anything, any, any other minor thing, any other thing that needs to happen other than the... F- oh, <laughs> minor thing. Okay, there's a minor thing, right, that does need to happen, which is the discovery of the elves. So, okay, Orame. Orame finds the elves. This, this, this needs to happen, right? This needs to happen. Um, and I'm thinking, I think we, we, for orc-related reasons, we need to have the elves discovered prior to the battle. Um, I agree with what Philip has posted on the discussion board that um, some people have suggested that the like Melkor could come across the elves while they're still asleep before they awake and like kidnap some as yet dormant elves and begin the necromantic project upon them. Um, I agree with, uh, with Philip that I really dislike that particular idea. I, I, I don't want that to happen. Um, and I, and I exactly agree with Philip's reasoning for that. That seems like a failure on Iluvatar's part. You know, I mean, if, if they are still in the sleep of Iluvatar and Iluvatar is letting them get, get, they have to have some agency before they're taken. And I, I, and, and I would even, this is a season two discussion. I would even want there to be some choice of will involved, um, and not just them kidnapped on the planes. Um, but again, that's a season two issue working out this story from the elf point of view. Um, but in any case, I, I, I really don't want them comatose uh, when that happens. Um, so they wake up. Sauron finds them. He tells Melkor, uh, and we don't have to show Melkor doing anything about it because we can show that in season two. Um, Orome finds them after Sauron finds them, and Orome comes back and tells them. Now we have to figure out when the news from Orome, how the news from Orome figures in chronologically. When is going to happen in relationship with Varda and the stars, in relationship with Aonwe, in relationship with with, with uh, the councils, right? Um, how do we how do we how do we have that happen? Um, I'm thinking, by the way, that the the way I'm imagining visually depicting Orome finding the elves is for showing uh, Orome riding through the dark woods of Middle-earth and have him hear singing, um, a singing that is not his own. And he comes to an opening and we can, we can, we can just sort of hear the song of the elves. I, I kind of like the idea of not even showing them on screen at this point. We just show Orome's face, right, uh, as he is like surprised and delighted looking out and then we shift to then like we we cut to him coming into the council of the valar and saying i found them the elves are awake um we can show a teaser of them as we've talked about at the very end of the episode right to show them by the shores of quivienen um as an anticipation of what we're going to do in season two um but I, i i would like to not depict the elves in the middle of the climax of the valar story here right so this is before the war. This is before the war. Yeah. So Marie, I'm thinking after stars before the war. This, uh, um, this, uh, this, 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 this. That's totally what I'm thinking happens there. Um, well, and and, and Orome's announcement could be also another piece of data that that sways Manway to go to war, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's definitely another factor that comes in. But that's why again where how it comes in relationship with the council and 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 how how we want to do the sequencing that's going to be it's going to have to be careful. So he's going to have to have Orme finds the elves and then he reports back to the Belar. All right. Um any other minor or less minor things that I am still forgetting. I think we got everything. It's time for the war. Okay, so 
the battle. Um, oh, we haven't done Ensign Eagles, but that's okay. I'm still on that. And it's almost time to shut down, too. No worries. we got plenty of time. Plenty of time. <laughs> uh, plenty of time. Okay. Because um, the battle will only take two minutes, so we're fine. Um, but before I was going to do that, I was going to talk... Oh, uh, Ents and Eagles. Yeah, it's talking about the settings and stuff that's going to be, you know, for the battle. That's going to be interesting. Okay, they get talked about by Ivana Prevision with Manway. Manway is like, that's kind of a dumb idea. And she's like, think about it, you'll warm up to it, right? Um, they can't come in before the children are awake. But... Since the children are awake before the battle, they could take part in the battle. All right. As for the battle, how do we depict this? Now, one thing that we have to keep in mind. Here's like framework issues for the battle. Number one, we have to remember that the result of this battle is a massive continental shift. The continent is going to be broken by this battle. And I think it behooves us to depict the breaking of the continent and not just... If we just show a bunch of guys running around, you know, on a battlefield, punching and stabbing each other, and then afterwards we're expecting people to understand that somehow this led to the continents being broken, um, that I don't think is going to fly. And since we've depicted the Valar as being connected with the elements, you know, that we... That, the large elemental forces of the planet anyway, um, it makes it easy enough to, um, uh, it makes it easy enough to plan on showing an actual elemental conflict, um, which could easily involve the breaking of, the breaking of land masses and the sea coming rushing. I mean, almost counterattack, right? Would be like the sea coming and rushing in and oops, now we've drowned part of the continent, haven't we? Um, as part of this guy. So, I mean, I, I, I think it actually, if we, if we make this battle be big scale, big enough scale, um, then uh, showing the, depicting the breaking of the continent becomes kind of easy enough, I think. Um, so, Plus, we also, I mean, I, I really like the idea of, of all the wars we see throughout this entire story, this is the hugest one. And yes. everything that comes after kind of scales, steps down from that. So by the time we get to, like, the Third Age War, it's really not, I mean, compared to this war, it's, like, not even on the meter. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, this is, like, the really huge one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. As opposed to how North things normally go, which is, you know, the other the other progression where it steps up. But I think in this case, it goes the other way. Absolutely, yeah. It's one thing that in the uh, Shaping of Middle-Earth uh, Mythgard Academy class, when we did the maps that Tolkien drew um, at, at, in the 1930s of the different stages of the development of Arda, I found that enormously striking because he shows, he, he draws a, a picture of the continent prior to, you know, Middle-earth before the war and Middle-earth after the war. And you can see, like, he, Beleriand is marked on the after-the-war map, of course. 
And you can see Beleriand is the tiniest little chunk. So the War of Wrath and the sinking of Beleriand, right, when, the, when, the, when, when, when Beleriand goes beneath the waves at the end of the First Age, that seems like a really huge deal, right? But when you look at it, Beleriand is like the size of a postage stamp. I mean, the sinking of Beleriand <laughs> is a really small deal compared to what happens in this first war. I mean, the, the, the geographic consequences of this war are... I mean, mathematically, like just on the map as they're shown, easily 20 times larger than than the drowning of Beleriand at the end of the War of Wrath. Um, so yeah, yeah, exactly, Trish. This is the biggest war that ever will be. Um, right. and, and so it's okay for... But here's a challenge. A challenge of this, if we make... We could make this struggle entirely elemental, okay? Um, this would be conservative of screen time, Um if we don't have to depict a lot of individual hand-to-hand combat struggles, it saves us time, right? Um, but one objection to doing it, making it all elemental, is that it makes pretty much anybody's participation except the major Valar. Um, uh, it kind of it kind of makes that um, sort of moot, like. If they have foot soldiers on either side, slugging it out hand to hand, and then like the entire continent on which they stand gets drowned in water, it kind of makes like, well, I got the foot soldiers were kind of pointless, right? Why would you even deploy foot soldiers if you're going to be having the battle on this kind of scale? Um, so that's. Uh, I had one idea about this, and uh, and I apologize. I can't remember who said it. Um, I'm blanking. I don't. I don't remember. If anybody remembers who said this on the discussion board, I would appreciate being reminded. Um, there is one place where the activity of foot soldiers would really matter, and that is in the Greater Quivienin region. What if? What? What if? We have the major elemental struggle happening as the Valar are marching forth to war against Melkor at Utumno, and Utumno is being broken, and the land is being reshaped, and we have volcanic explosions, and the sea come rushing in, and all of these things are... Both sides know where the elves are, right? Both sides have found the elves. Um, right. And both sides initially are focused on each other. But, you know, I'm kind of thinking, if Melkor feels that he's losing... Wouldn't there be a chance that Melkor would kind of go nuclear out of spite? Right? Yeah, and just try to screw oh, everything totally. up. Right, that he just says, oh, like, yeah, think, uh, that he's going to destroy, destroy he the children. He wouldn't even, like, think, I mean, he would just react. Yeah. yeah. But, by the okay. way, I think the, the credit for that, uh, for this, for pointing out the soldiers thing was, uh, goes to Philip. Goes to Philip? Okay, great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 He, yeah um, he, he points out that if we go, if we go into, if we go into the, you know, the, that area, um, then uh, you know, like by including the children, it not it both increases the urgency of yes. the war, but also gives us some soldiers who can die. Exactly, exactly. So the elves and don't also, have to fight. The orcs don't fight. The orcs don't even exist yet, and the elves don't fight. But so, 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 but we can have foot soldiers. That we have yeah, like yeah. Melkor's beasts, right? We can even have some Balrogs, um, and we could have. So basically, I'm thinking. The Valar, their strategy would be they would they would defend Quivianen, right? So they would post defenders around Quivianen, and uh, maybe Orme is there, 
I would think, right? And so Orame leads the defenders of Quivienen. And um, there should be some foot soldier creatures. Like they can be, like, because although we don't have orcs. Can we have Ents? We can have Ents. That's just what I'm thinking. See, what I'm imagining is Morgoth is about to lose. He let slips the dogs of war, right? He's like, exactly, Marie. Like, if I can't have it, nobody can. Um, he, so he sends out his creatures to destroy the children. Right, um, as his last act of spite against the Valar and against Iluvatar, as he's going down, he knows he's going down. So he, so he, he, he sends the uh, like all of the reserve like monstrous creatures he's been experimenting with, and they go rampaging across. You know, maybe he he's had them off near them. Like he he had this prepared. Like he had this as a sort of a weapon aimed at the elves, but he wasn't going to fire it at first because if he could win, he was going to keep the elves to try to keep them as worshippers. Right, but if he's going to lose he's going to off him right so he he uh, he releases the uh, uh his monsters at Quivienen. Orome is there and yes i'm thinking the ents come out of the forest to fight the monsters and the eagles swoop down and and save yeah. them so the ents and eagles come in in that final battle saving the elves the elves don't even see the battle. They're freaked out by the battle and by the earthquakes and the lights in the sky and everything else that's happening. Um, uh, and they hear the—they probably hear the roaring of the monsters and everything. Um, and then, you know, Orame comes back splattered with monster blood and he's like, Okay, everything's fine. Nothing to worry about, guys. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I come in peace. Um, yeah, so... I, I, I kind of feel like... Um... Maybe doing that and then not really showing very much, not not showing, not depicting the Valar's battle um, in the Northwest using hand-to-hand combat and that kind of stuff is right. a better way to go. And, yeah. Uh, it's, so it's kind of like, it is kind of going back toward the idea of we don't actually see any of that, we just know a big battle happened. Like we could do some earth shaking and some, you know, some of the more sort of visual elemental macro level stuff, but not getting down to the level of, um, you know, watching uh, Manway um, cutting orcs heads off and, and knocking Balrogs over and stuff. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, we don't have, we don't show the Valar holding weapons and fighting things, except Tolkas at the end. Tolkas is the one, so we have, we have the breaking of Otumno, which is like a, the, the culmination of the major, and I think this has to be Manway's uh, shot at the end. I think that Manway is the one right. who, re- like, with a blast of lightning or something, you know. So there's a storm that he has built with uh, with Olmo, and you know, so a, a blast of lightning shatters, uh, breaks open Utumno. Then Tolkas. Th- th- that th- that's when you let Tolkas off his leash, basically, and he goes in and he actually takes. So the only the only Valar on Valar violence that we get is is Tolkis, uh, uh taking out Melkor. Right. And then, um, yeah, do we... I think I think sh- we could... Which, what should be depictable would be them invading Utumno uh, um, and going down and grabbing him. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So we can see them... We can see them coming in. Um, uh, exactly. We, we, we see them walking in. The Balrogs can be deployed, but would he even... See, here's the problem. I kind of want him to save some Balrogs to deploy against the children. Like, you'd think that's what Morgoth would do, but Ents can't possibly fight Balrogs. That's... That that couldn't really happen. Like, Ents and Eagles wouldn't... I mean, Orme's there, so he'd be able to... Which means, of course... 
which means, of course, Huon is there, right? Uh, in that battle as well. But yeah, but Balrogs are too. I mean, maybe he he keeps Balrogs for the home guard. Yeah. Um, and they scatter when uh, when when Utumno is broken open. The Balrogs scatter, and that's why they're most of them aren't found, and they're still hanging out in Middle Earth. Um, so yeah, actually, that'd be kind of cool to have the Balrogs abandon him essentially. Um, not necessarily out of cowardice, but out of self-preservation. Because again, like that's what it means to be evil, right? To be evil means to be turning to yourself uh, rather than selflessly serving others. So you know, the Balrogs, of course, they're serving Morgoth, but like ultimately, they're still kind of looking out for number one, right? So I, I, I kind of like that idea that the, that the, the Balrogs uh, would. I mean, we could if we chose to. We could have. Um, we could have. You know, Morgoth tell them to scatter if we didn't want them to actually uh, to actually betray him. But uh, anyway, th- they would regroup at at, at Angband, Nick. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah, Nick is saying that they regroup at uh, at at Angband, where Gothmog delivers Myron his new name, since he didn't have the nerve even to show up at the battle. Um, yeah, he 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 could accuse Sauron of, or Myron of cowardice uh, and rename him Sauron. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it it is interesting to do that. You know that, that we'd have one of Melkor's minions name him Sauron. Yes. You know, I mean, the lore folk, the lore hands may go nuts at that, but still. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess we can't. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, we have to understand. Anytime you do an adaptation, you're, there's always going to be people who complain. Like, there's, there's, there's literally no way to please everybody. But you know, it's all PR. It's all it's right. okay. It's all marketing. It works. <laughs> <laughs> As we see in other cases. Okay. <laughs> Defended by Orame, Huan, and. Eagles. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Utumno broken. Tolkas gets Melkor. Don't uh, forget to send this, these notes to Megan. Chains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll make sure to send it. Okay, all right. All right. So we, are we cool with that? Are we, is it, we should we make a final decision on the Balrogs. Do we want to have them uh, abandon him, or do we want to have him... Uh, um, do we want to have him um, have him order them away? Abandon? Well, hmm. Uh, I think abandon him. We could leave it kind of ambiguous, I guess. You know. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know if we want to depict a sort of a. Because we need it open for there to be academic papers written on. This. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Actually, you know. <laughs> Remember, when's the next time uh, Melkor is going to see the Balrogs? Think about that. Wow. The next time he's going to see them is when they're pulling his biscuits out of the fire and saving him from Ungoliant, right? So the oh, next time they see him is yeah. they, with their whips of flame, drive off Ungoliant, and they're like, see, boss, we totally got your back. Right? Yeah, that's right. Totally. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, and then he blames them for leaving exactly with you. And then they're like, no, man, we were just, you know, we're just following, like, the, you know, the, you know, we're, we're you know, we, 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 we thought, look at all the good we've been doing, or all the bad we've been doing here, like, while you've been gone, right? You know, we didn't want to get taken in. Uh, no, I mean, it, it, it could be good. It could be good. All right, okay. So let's, uh, so, let's, do, we'll just, uh, Okay, Balrogs. Balrogs, yeah, that's exactly it. Balrogs. Balrogs scatter. Okay. Um, where do we end? What do we... So, post-battle? post, post battle? What needs to happen? We, you know, we've got, our, of course, our glimpse of the elves. Are, are we doing anything with the frame? We oh yeah, we haven't even talked about the frame yet. Um, hang on, back to the frame. Back to the frame, but but wait, inside the frame still the last thing. Where do we end? What do we what what do we, after the battle? What do we need to do? We, do we do we have Melkor being cast into into outer darkness? Do we? Have, well, he's going to get chained up, right? Locked in his dungeon. Yeah, no, not in outer darkness yet. Yeah, exactly. So we've got uh, you know Mandos. Uh, opens up the uh, the swank new prison he's made for him. Um, right, <clears throat> exactly, Chris. That's what I'm wondering. Chris Graham is, is asking, you know, do we need a third council of the Valar as a sort of a post mortem? Right, um, you know, do we have to? Ha- do we need to have? Some- I mean, I think that we do need to have some kind of. I think we could, but it could be another one of those abbreviated visual councils where we just see them right. standing around with Melkor in the middle on his knees, getting a collar put affixed to his neck. Right. Um, do we, uh, are we supposed to do some kind of ominous, like, you know, yeah, they got, they got Melkor, but they didn't explore the, plumb the depths of Utumno. And yeah, exactly. Well, the evil I, things they didn't find. Yeah, Utumno can be broken. We've, we've got to return to Angband, right? Yeah. Yeah, where's Sauron during all of this? Exactly. Where's Sauron during all this? I'm thinking he, he, he's. He pretty much lies low. Hey, he can be the one who gets sent up. Yeah, Morgoth sends him to go release the beasts to, to kill the children. He's he's the one who's deputized to go send them, right? Like so it. he's got a job, but it's off to the side, like so nobody else sees him, right? Okay, yeah, so he can be the uh, right hand. Uh, Sauron's job. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, um, uh, okay, all right. Angband, Sauron, and the Balrogs. Uh, right, so they're, they're gonna they're gonna regroup there. Sauron named. Okay, so we're set up for the bad guys in season two. Um, anything else we need to tie up within the frame? Hmm. All right, I'm going to go with no, because we're running out of time. So, okay, good. Uh, (laughs) Frame. Um, At the end of the episode, the frame uh, and uh, uh, the suggestions that we had. um, Oh, yeah, Chris, you're right. We need to pass sentence on on Melkor. Chris, yeah, how awesome would it be? Hang on a second, right? Melkor. Uh, just like in Council 2, the only speaker we had was Manway, right? We didn't give a lot of back and forth. We just had Manway's speech Mando's. declaring war. Yeah, we have Mando speaking. He, he, he gets the only... Uh, so that, yeah, judgment on 
Melkor. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Have, have Mandos be the only speaker. So this is more of a sentencing than a trial, really, uh, in Council Number 3. Anyway, okay, so frame. Frame. Um, we, uh... Um, that, that, that Mithluin's idea on the on the discussion board, I think, is I I, I find it hard to improve on. Um, I, I, so I would just like cut it and paste it in here. But basically, we had already talked about ending the frame with Bilbo and Gandalf coming back at the end, and the parallel. And I think did we even mention this before? I don't even remember. But I mean, it's just such a perfect idea. Of course, Bilbo is just coming back from the Battle of Five Armies, and as Mithluin was pointing out in the discussion boards. Um, Bilbo's own attempts to to achieve a peaceful resolution of the conflict before the Battle of Five Armies, which ultimately oh. was fruitless and there was a battle anyway, despite all of his efforts, is exactly parallel to Manway's efforts before this battle. So having yeah. Bilbo come back and talking about that and reflecting on that... Um, and so we have basically a conversation between Estelle and Bilbo, where Bilbo is himself having just experienced war and being kind of traumatized by it and saddened by what he has seen and the death of Thorin, uh, you know, the friend that he has lost. Um, I mean, that, that, that touch is just, it, it's the perfect note uh, for, uh, for, for the end of this. Uh, so yeah, Murray, awesome job. That was, that was just, uh, that's, that just absolutely nails it. Um, and um, and I liked the idea. Um, uh, 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 this was Philip's suggestion, I think, that because uh, remember we had talked about the possibility that um, in the previous in our previous discussion of the frame last week that um, uh, that Bilbo would mistake young Estelle for an elf um, and uh, and only find out that he's human perhaps this time through. And um, he um, there was some discussion on the on the board as well about um, Gilrein sort of and, and Elrond having a conversation probably in maybe in episode twelve about how they're going to 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 preserve his secrecy and not tell him who he really is, um, but they kind of compromise in telling him that he is one of the you know so like they explain about. Um, you know that he is one of the one of the men of the West, um, even though they don't tell him exactly who he is and who his family is and his personal significance. Um, they don't tell him he's the heir. They just tell him that he's a Numenorian, and uh, and so he tells Bilbo this. And Bilbo, uh, uh, Philip was pointing out that uh, uh, maybe we have Bilbo giving him his uh, nickname, calling him uh, the Dunedain, or calling him Dunedain here, um, and. Uh, it, yeah. Remember in the Fellowship of the Ring how Bilbo corrects and says, "No, he's the Dunedain." Right? He can. We can have. We could actually have that moment later on. Um, so I don't think we have a full revelation of who Estelle is at the end. Maybe we do, or I, I, we would have to within the frame in the conversation between Gilrein and Elrond to the viewers, right. not to not to Estelle himself. Um, but uh, uh, but anyway. I kind of I kind of like this. So we end with Bilbo and Estelle reflecting on war and on you know on sort of life in Arda Mard and yet their own you know thinking about what Bilbo himself has done in his adventure, right? Thinking about Gandalf's final comments to Bilbo at the end of the Hobbit um about all these adventures not being arranged for uh for his sole benefit, right? And although and thinking also of the you know Gandalf's comment at the Council of Elrond about um uh you know Bilbo being a hero and and Estelle being you know preparing and himself you know sort of fixing to do some heroic deeds in the future, um, you know playing their own part in this, but um, uh, 
but anyway, um, having uh, having his true identity not yet revealed to him, so he does not yet really know the part he's going to play. But again, the viewers do. Okay. All right. All right. I, so I like the idea, by the way, of of, of having of us assuming a, a certain level of already known knowledge, which is redundant, I realize, yeah. uh, amongst the viewers. Uh, you know, it's okay to me that even if there's people that aren't familiar with the story, we don't explain stuff, that I think we take the, the road that people do know the story of The Hobbit, people do know the story of The Lord of the Rings. And actually, I think I made a point, a note of this, I think it may be the first time in a fantasy film that that's the case. You know, normally, there has to be some kind of ex- explanation, even of a book adaptation right. because people assume people don't know but I just think the story is is, is pretty well known yeah so yeah. we don't have to do I think it's cool I think it's really cool that we do that yeah it is really cool we don't have to explain the story of The Hobbit right yeah, we don't have to explain the story of the Hobbit. We don't have to explain the significance of Aragorn. We don't have to explain the significance of Sauron, right? Yeah, exactly. I think we do avoid that inevitable, like dumbing down bit of dialogue, right? Absolutely. You know, uh, yes. you know when 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 like Estelle breaks in, is like Sauron, not the Dark Lord, who you know who uh, against whom we fought in the, you know. Oh, I hate those moments. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's not do that. Um, Okay. Okay. Um, let's just assume. Let's assume most people are familiar with that work or have access to Wikipedia. Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing. Right. Like, come on, man. We live in the internet friends, age. You know. Or, okay. Gosh, for a bit. Maybe they'll go read the book. I know. Awesome. Really. Exactly. Okay. All right. So we're only twenty minutes over time, which means we still have five minutes. So uh, in our last five minutes, oh okay. let's let's reorganize things. Your Twitch fans are waiting for you. Uh, hey, we're fine. I, I've got by my clock here eleven <laughs> minutes to go. Okay, okay. So <laughs> sequence, sequence. We still have to discuss sequence and what order do all these things happen? So okay. Oh so we start with the Yavana stuff, right? That's simple enough. Here are the main questions. Um, we can leave like this stuff. Sauron getting the tour of Ang Band and okay, no, this happens at the end. We already did that at the end. Okay, that's fine. Um, all right. So the questions. Uh, let's well, let me just break this down and make this a little bit simpler here. Okay, we've got the Yavana material, the Varda and the stars material, the vision of Manwe, um, the Aonwe incident, uh, and Orame finding the elves. Okay, those are the things that we need to to put them in a and tell me if there's anything crucial that I'm forgetting there the rest of the stuff can be worked out and there's a pretty obvious order for mo- for much of it but this is the the sort of debating here right um, so what order do we have these going I think Yvanna's one right <laughs> look at my little number one there mm-hmm. that was stupid okay um, uh, good job Evernote um, so Yvanna then Aonwe, right? Then Orame, then Varda. And so Varda and the Vision are kind of happening at the same time, essentially. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yvonne comes to Manway and he says, well, I don't really think so. They go to council number one. 
Manway gives his impassioned plea for why they should not go to war and says, I'm going to send Ayanwe, so that happens. Then Ayanwe gets killed and he comes back and goes to Lorien and everyone's like, see, Mel- Melkor's clearly a lost cause. We have to go to, to, to battle. And then Orme comes back and he's like, P.S., I just found the children. Right, uh, and so everyone's like, "Look, do you want him to do to the children what he did to Aonwe? Right, if he would do this to Aonwe, he would do this to the children. Uh, like we now know what he's like. Let's totally go." And he's still uncomfortable. This is when he has his conversation with Varda, right, where he's like, "You know, it does look like we're supposed to go to war, but I'm still really uncomfortable with this." Varda says, "Let's look and see." Right, uh, let's look and see and hear what's going on. So they go up to to Tenequitil and they do their thing. He sees, they know the truth, they see what's going to happen, they know what needs to happen. He's still not easy in his mind about it. He goes up to, uh, on top of Tenequitil to commune with uh, Eru. Meanwhile, she goes down and starts the making of the stars. When the making of the stars is complete, he returns from his vision and says, okay, and then he has the, okay, we're going to war thing. Does that sequence make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, darn it, Marie. I knew there was a problem. I knew it was too simple. Yes, oh, no. the stars have to be made before the elves awake. Orame can't come back before that. I knew there was a catch I was forgetting. Marie, thank you for reminding me. Dang it. And I did it in four minutes, too. Okay, 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 okay. Um, that's fine. Okay, so... Oh, Marie's, Marie's got a solution. She's, oh, yeah? You want Yavanna, okay. All right. So, hang on, I'm thinking. Who Aonway? Right, she's yeah. Got it. She's, yeah, she's right. Aonway, okay. Aonway, yeah. Okay. So I'm thinking, then we do... Three, then we, oh, three Varda. She yeah, suggests three Varda. Three Varda, right, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, even sort of... Four Vision. Four Vision and then five Orame, right. So Orame coming in and saying okay. the children are born, that's not yet another reason to go to war. The decision's already been made. Um, oh, uh, Marie's added a five as Oh, Aonway's, Aonway's return, return, right. Right, I see. Yeah. I see. Okay. Right. Yanwei comes back. And then six would be army. Six would be army. Okay. Okay. Right, yeah. So so basically, instead of having them say, the children are born, we must go to war, because I, I, I'm not a big fan of that. But if instead, basically, they yeah. make the call, right, and Manway's had his vision, and they've done the debate, and they've and, and, and Yanwei has come back, and it's, 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 it's a big deal. Um, they've decided that they must go to war. Orame then returning and saying the children have come is like a confirmation, right? This is like... And I can totally see that being the feather. I can totally see that any last inkling of doubt that Manway has... Yes. ...is gone at right. this announcement. It's like, okay. it's, it's like Iluvatar giving the thumbs up and saying, yep, yep, it really is time yes. for you to do this. It is, um, yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly how Manway would take it, too. Right, it? exactly. He could even say that. Yeah. He could even sort of like yep. paraphrase Aragorn and be like, "I will take the Elves' Awakening as a sign." And uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, right, right. Okay, all right. Good, excellent, good. So, oh, oops. Last question. Last question, and then we're totally done. Where do we st- Where do we stop? Uh, 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 episode twelve. What's the What's the What's the culmination of episode twelve? Um, and where do we start episode thirteen? Oh boy. Do we end it with the frame, like started the season? Uh, well, maybe we do, but but I'm thinking because um, remember we're still planning two episodes. This is episode twelve and episode thirteen. You're talking. You're talking oh, the joint, sorry, joint sorry, between sorry. them. Um, the stars. 
Okay, yeah, stars. I'm trying to figure out how far we can get. Because they've got to do the whole battle thing. Suitable cliffhanger. Yeah. The capture of Aonwe would be more cliffhanger-ish. Mm-hmm. Even the death of Aonwe. And it seems like Morgoth is triumphant, or Melkor, excuse me, is triumphant, right? So, like, Aonwe being killed and... Uh, and I mean, Marie, I agree, like, the decision to go to war would be a good break, but that's too much in the middle. I remember, this is... A, the, 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 the finale is two hours. Um... And the episode 12 is only, it's only a one-hour episode. I kind of like, you know, like the brutal death of Aonwe ending episode 12. Well, it's, it's also, it's kind of a nice, it's kind of a nice hopeless ending for that episode where just, just previously we sat through a, a council meeting where they said, look guys, really don't want to go to war. Um, we should try to find a better solution to this, blah, blah, blah. Right. And then they send the way over and he gets killed. It's like, right. oh, jeez. Right. right, exactly. Um, and it, but it's, it's before they even... Because, I mean, I do, although it would be... I mean, I agree that that moment where Aonway, or where Manway returns from his vision and he's weeping and he's, and he's declaring war, I mean, that's a really dramatic moment. That would be a great cut-to-credits moment. But I don't think it works. I mean, if, if we had this as... If we had our double two-hour episode as to a separate episode. I mean, that is to say, if we were dividing this into 14 uh, episodes, um, uh, then uh, I, I would see that as a natural break. But but I, I don't think I don't think it works. I think we need to put... You know, so basically, then episode 13, the first half of episode 13, like build the build-up of episode 13, are those final stages, the making of the stars, um, the, uh, the, uh, the vision... Manway's declaration of war, Orame's dramatic announcement of the discovery of the children, um, those things happen. I think that Sauron's discovery of the children should happen in episode 12. Um, yeah, that should definitely come before the death of Aonwe. Um But anyway, so that, all that stuff happens in like the first half of, of episode 13, and then we do, you know, the battle and the final frame okay. and everything in the second yeah, half of episode enough. 13. Okay. All right. That's all good. Excellent. Okay. So I still have three minutes. Two, two, two minutes. I still have two minutes. And uh, so the, my last injunction for next time. Now, we're done planning the episodes, but we still have work to do in the season. However, I, I should say, let me rephrase. You still have work to do in the season. Uh, uh, at the end of season one, of, of the season one, not of the, not of the show, but of the podcast, we are planning to do a review of other production elements. We want to talk about sets. We want to talk about costumes. We want to talk about music. We want to talk about casting. Um, and we're going to need your help for these things. Um, Basically, I want to talk about these things, but really kind of only if you guys are interested in them. Um, you don't want to hear me sit around and make stuff up about musical scores. I don't know anything about writing musical scores. I'm totally incapable of doing this. I could give some vague ideas, um, but they would be very vague and not very interesting to listen to. But if uh, we have musicians who are making suggestions... Um, then that would be really fun to talk about. So we'll talk about this a little bit later. The next thing we're going to do. So in t- two weeks from now, our next episode, episode or session 16 of, uh, of Some Film Project Season 1, we're going to be discussing the casting. And here's, here's, here's how we're going to do casting. 
I want casting to be democratic. But next time, next time we're not going to be talking about particular actors and actresses. Next time we're going to basically do a review of our entire cast and we're going to do basically sort of a casting call, right? We're going to we're going to decide on what are the what are we going to be looking for in you know not 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 nominating particular people, but thinking about what are the criteria we would want to see in actors and actresses to play all the different so we'll start with a list of roles. And we'll go through and we'll flesh out what we would want to see in those things. Then it is up to you, the listeners, to nominate actors and actresses who you think would fit the characteristics that we describe in the next episode. Okay, so we're going to talk through the cast next time, um, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we'll lay, as a you know in our position as uh, as studio producers, we're gonna we're gonna stipulate what we want to see. Uh, in these actors and actresses, then you guys are going to suggest people, right? You, you are you are our casting folks, uh, and we're going to um, and so that we're going to have you guys nominate people after next episode. You'll be nominating people on the and discussion justify. board. Nominate and, nominate and explain. Yeah, exactly. Why do you think they would be good? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then, and it, it does need to be somebody who's alive now. We're not going to do historical actors and stuff. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but, but, but anyway, yeah. So I, I want you to, to, to be nominating people. And then uh, we'll, we'll review the nominees uh, at, in a future episode. And then we'll put up polls uh, for you guys to vote and decide uh, which of the nominees yeah, are going to make because it. Because that yeah. way people yeah. And then we'll announce the so, winners yeah, so in another future episode. Okay. Like you said, yeah, it'll be a future episode. So it's not going to be two episodes back to back. You'll have time for this. That's right. Yeah, we're you know, going to talk. So we'll talk about casting next time, and then we'll, we'll explain right. the 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 um, the sequence a little bit more clearly next time. Um, right. Right. But uh, but anyway, so for the next episode, what you can be preparing, think through the cast, think about what you picture these characters looking like, how you would want to visually represent all of these characters, what kind of personality traits you might want them to have, you know, so so that we can come to a decision about what we're looking for uh, in actors for uh, uh, for for next time. Okay, so that's what we'll be doing. And we'll be moving on to other production elements after that, and we'll discuss that process a little bit more. But yeah, any of you who are interested in in sets, costumes, um, general sort of artistic design, uh, music, uh, any of that stuff, um, now is the time for you guys to mobilize, uh, because we'll be coming around uh, to you guys and wanting to hear what you guys have to say. So, um, uh, So, good, excellent. So I have to run. I'm now officially late for my next thing. Uh, But thanks, everybody, for your awesome contributions. This was a lot of fun. I'm totally looking forward to this episode. Um, Oh, yeah. So to not actually seeing this show in production. But anyway, wow, this would be awesome. Uh, so thanks everybody for all of your work on this. I look forward to uh, uh, ironing out our final production details, uh, and then before too long, moving on to season two. Super exciting! So thanks everybody. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.